Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to our Tuesday talk. Uh, my name's Leanne Santoro. I'm the Curator of Decorative Arts and Design here at the Gallery. Um, and I'd just like to begin by acknowledging the Ghana people, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting, and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. So we have a special guest speaker today for our Tuesday talk. We have Jodie Vanderpeer, who is a teacher and a historian, uh, who's going to be speaking about this particular piece right here uh, by an artist called Maud Bailey, also known as Maud Golly. And Jodie has recently completed her master's thesis on South Australian women woodcarvers, 1894 to 1923. So she's very knowledgeable about uh, this artist and other uh, women woodcarvers. Um, so we're very pleased to have her here today. Um, this piece was very recently acquired by the gallery, uh, along with the chair that you see around the corner, which is also by Maud Bailey, um, and also a few other pieces. We acquired six pieces total. Um, two other pieces of furniture, um, a painting of Wedge Island, where the artist lived uh, in her youth, and a carved frame with a, a, a photographic portrait of the artist as well. Um, but we're going to mainly focus on this incredible piece today. Um, we're really pleased to have acquired these works. Um, previous curators have been trying for many years to acquire these works. Um, I'm very new here, I've only been here about three months, so these um, fortunately were acquired just before I arrived, um, so I can't claim any credit for it, but we're really, really pleased to have them in the collection. Um, so Jo's going to do her talk, and then um, we have some questions at the end, as usual. So please welcome Jo Vanderpeer. Thank you very much for having me, and this does feel a little different to my hairbrush that I've been practising with. <laughs> so um, I would like to introduce you to this very dainty piece of furniture that has an absolutely captivating tale embedded in its wood. So Alice Maud Golly was born in 1884, and she lived um, her life with her family on Wedge Island and she lived there with her parents and two older brothers. And this beautiful chiffonier was made without any training. I'll just let that sink in. It's extraordinary. It, this chiffonier is actually all about where she lived and what was happening in her life at the time. So what I'd like, you, what I'd like to do is take you to Wedge Island and give you that sensory experience that, that I um, experienced when I first started to do research on her. So I invite you to close your eyes if you'd like to, if you're comfortable to, and to just soar like a seabird over the Spencer Gulf. And you're going to see Wedge Island that is right in the middle of it. And there is vegetation, but it's stunted because the, ex the conditions are so exposed and the bushes are windswept. And on the southern side, you see 240 metre sheer cliff face that meets the Great Australian Bight, and it's cold water, and you can hear that pounding ocean against it. And then you soar over to the other side of the island, and you see a shoreline, and you see some stone buildings, 
and there's a blacksmith workshop that has a thatched roof and a little stone dwelling where the Golly family live. And you see some goats. And on this island, you are both buffeted and you are cosseted at the same time. And you smell the salt. And you see those enticing colours of coastal vegetation. And everything is windswept. And now you are ready to hear about the Golly family's life on the island. So there are grapevines, and as we know here in South Australia, even in the harshest of summers, when you get to a wine district, you see the green of the grapevine because they survive in that kind of weather. There were sheep, but they, uh, sheep uh, suffered from a coastal disease, a copper deficiency, and they literally ran off the cliff. So that's why there are goats there, and goats keep an impossible footing on those um, cliffs. The Golly family can't understand why more people don't eat goat meat because they find it delicious. And after each big storm, the family would rush down to the beach and they would collect the big paper nautilus shells. And they had to get there before the birds because the birds would eat the mollusk inside and they would crack the shell. And the shells were an added income for the family because they are so beautiful. Horses roamed the island. The Golly family bred them from a draft and a pony um, mix, and they were about 14 and a half hands high. They were a very um, hardy and robust animal, and they sold them as Indian Army remounts. And every now and again, a vessel would arrive at the island, and the family could all ride very well, and they used to swim the horses out to the vessel because there was no jetty. And then each horse would be hoisted up. So it must have been quite an impressive sight. Maud's mother is an Irish Catholic woman and she arrived in Adelaide as a solo passenger, so brave, and worked as a domestic servant. And at the same time as this, Maud's father was on Wedge Island and he came to Adelaide with the express purpose of finding a wife, and he did. <laughs> And they were married in St Lawrence's Church in North Adelaide and then they repaired back to the island to start their life with their family there. Maud's mother taught her to knit, to weave and to spin. And the spinning wheel is still extant. It's um, in the Capayo Museum over on Air Peninsula. And it is huge, it's metal, and it looks to be made out of repurposed farm equipment. It's, I've never seen anything like it before. It's a really, really hard life there. And everybody has to be resourceful. And I think that's the key word here, being resourceful. This chiffonier shows that the young Maud longed for the finer things, like any young girl. It has pretty bows, um, there are flowers on it. There is an abundance of things that she could not possibly have had on the island. As a young girl, she learnt to splice ropes. She spliced ropes for marine purposes and also for saddlery. And also as a young girl, like her brothers, she would carve cuttlefish into small animals. And if you look at the chair behind us, 
I'm sorry, those of you over there can't see it, but have a look later. Um, the design on the top, you can imagine that being carved into that marshmallowy texture of cuttlefish. And then in 1901, the Glen Park a ship was wrecked outside of Wedge Island and Maud learned to carve, um, taught herself to carve wood there. And it was, the, the story is that it's teak, but that's up for conjecture. So now you are ready to have a look at the motifs on the chiffonier and they will all make sense now. So we see waves crashing on the shore. Nautilus shells, little ones down in here. Grapevines, birds. And here, uh, curling goat wool. You can imagine that being right there. Curling kelp type designs, uh, very Celtish, they have that sort of feel about them. Rope, bows, ornamental pretty borders, basket of flowers, ferns which are impossibly carved. And then we start to see things of a different tone. We see the date 1904 on an unfurling banner up the top, the unofficial coat of arms with the animals the other way around, and a gumnut wreath, and perhaps the piping shrike, the symbol of South Australia underneath it. And all in all, it's a very proud object. And it is, Maud is the gift that keeps on giving, because just yesterday when I did my reconnaissance, I was just pondering on these um, lions here, and, you know, it's, they're connected to pride, a pride of lions. So maybe that's me being fanciful, but it makes sense to me, and it's certainly part of the arts and crafts that everything has a meaning. So it is, in fact, a commemorative object, and it was um, to signify a very important visitor to Wedge Island, and the family calls it the China Cabinet. And the visitor th to the island was no less than the governor of South Australia. So some of you would be familiar with Annalaby Station up in the mid-north um, that is being restored to its former glory. And it was owned and run by the Dutton family. So Geoffrey Dutton was a writer and an art critic. His grandfather was Henry. And Henry had a couple of sailing boats and he used to run sailing parties over to Port Lincoln. And on one occasion in 1904, he took Governor La Hunt and the party stopped at Wedge Island and they shot um, bush quail and when they had enough bags of bush quail, then they lobbed in at the homestead. You'd think they would have done that first, but apparently they didn't. And I think it was probably a boys' weekend and there were hip flasks involved. It was that kind of tone. And they got to the homestead and they saw this incredible furniture. And the main piece that they saw is a bookshelf, which is not here today, um, but hopefully it will be here soon. And it was quite remarkable. The Art Gallery of South Australia has acquired it and it is similarly effusely designed all over. Um, it had two buttressing ropes underneath it that carved but uh, made to look like ropes. And for a time it was in a house with 11 children and those 
buttressing ropes just didn't survive that robust atmosphere. <laughs> so the wonderful Justin Gare is um, going to restore it and get it back to its former glory for us all to enjoy. It also features her carved initials on the side and this is a sign of her stamping her identity. This is important for a young woman. So the sailing party uh, was there in the little house on Wedge Island and they asked to see Maud's tools and you can only imagine how the family felt there with an unannounced governor sitting at their kitchen table. And the tools were brought out and I quote unquote, a motley array of tools and the tools were made by her father. The blades were melted down plowshares and the handles were made from a pony thigh bone. And I should say at this point there is a consistent story about her only carving with a penknife, but that's not true. Back in Adelaide, the party got together and they did a whip around and they bought her the finest set of wood carving tools that they could and they were in a velvet lined box. And then Peter Dutton, uh, sorry, not Peter, um, wrong Peter. <laughs> Henry Dutton uh, tried three times to get those tools to her. And it was only on his third trip over that he was able to uh, birth there and, and get them to her safely. And then she didn't use them. Because quite rightly, she preferred her own. She'd already reached that skill level. She was used to, used to hers. She kept them. And they were with the family until a few years ago where unfortunately they were stolen from a rental property. So I think they're probably still out there and they might surface one day and that would be fantastic. So keep your eye out for a set of wood carving tools in a velvet lined box. So Maud's fame um, then rose as her work was exhibited. The governor arranged for her furniture to be transported off Wedge Island so that other people could appreciate it. And if the tools were difficult to deliver, you can imagine how difficult it was uh, what a palaver it was, really, to get the furniture onto a boat. The chiffonier, this chiffonier, and other objects were exhibited at the Royal Adelaide Show, and the press reports from the time stated that no other item, this chiffonier, was more viewed by the general sightseers. And then someone else in their account in a newspaper said, this is what unaided feminine enterprise can do. Don't you know? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so the chiffonier was then shown at uh, George Lawton's hide dealer and auctioneer's premises at 122 Curry Street here in Adelaide. And after that, it was shown at a preliminary South Australian version of the first exhibition of women's work. And it was almost a culling process, I think, there. Um, when that was finished, the um, governor arranged for it to be sent over to Melbourne to the very big exhibition centre there and thousands of other objects from around Australia were sent. The whole national exhibition was mainly driven by the governor's wives of each state of Australia and then their coterie of friends helped them with all of the organisation. The, in an enlightened moment the main prize and I should say that Thousands of people visited this every day. It was a huge exhibition. The main prize was awarded to the creche, 
which in 1907 was an important move, and the other special prize was awarded to Maud Golly. Yeah. So things eventually died down for Maud. A few years later, her second brother's wife decided that life on the island was, could be improved for their younger family and they moved to Adelaide. And then Maud herself left Wedge Island with her parents in 1911 and they moved to the mainland on Air Peninsula, north of Port Lincoln, a place called um, Clare Park because her mum was from County Clare and that place still exists today. In 1914, Maud is 30 years old. She's single. She's living with her parents. Her mother is blind by now and she receives her first and only commission from a Father Kelly to carve a chair for the Presbytery, the Catholic Presbytery. And it features these motifs but much more developed. So the main back piece is the beautiful basket of flowers. And her rope designs form the arms and her beautiful bow is made, is made to look like a rope and it's on the seat so you sit on it. It's a very impressive chair. Right smack bang in the middle are her initials and by this time she's dropped the A for Alice because she's not called Alice, she's called Maud and she has stamped her identity on it and she stamped it on as a much more assured, older woman and in 1922 she married a younger man <laughs> and Stuart Bailey was of Scottish descent and he was not Catholic so this is something not to be underestimated back in the day and they had a little boy who was born with a cleft palate and he survived for six months which would have been no mean feat and after that they had two girls healthy girls and from all accounts, Maud lived a very quiet life from that point and she very rarely went out. Her husband lived up to the Scottish reputation with money. Her side hustle was no longer carving. It was making boiled lollies with the help of her children, which she sold as an extra income. Again, remarkable resourcefulness. She continued to express her creativity. She illustrated her daughter's primary school exercise books. One of these still exists. The other one was destroyed in a bit of sibling rivalry. <laughs> and she painted a naive but a very evocative view of Wedge Island, of her home approach from the sea. And it really is absolutely charming. You see in the foreground the sea and then you see the shore and then you see Wedge Island and her little home in the middle and there's nothing sophisticated about it but you can almost feel that sun on your back when you see it and it too is part of the art gallery collection so hopefully we'll get to see that at some stage. So her elder brother remained on Wedge Island until 1936 and a rather intrepid journalist went to visit him during that time and found him living literally a barefoot Robinson Crusoe life. Um, he kept the time by monitoring the passing ships and he slept on goat skins in front of the fire at night time. And the bookshelf was still there. And Maud died 
1961. She lived a celebrated and a humble life. So what happened to the furniture after that point? Well, the chiffonier and the bookcase were left to her two older brothers, respectively. In fact, um, a wondrous desk that she made was left to a daughter, and I understand that is still in the family. Her other daughter collected the furniture as the family custodian, and it's due to her that we're able to see this today. Her collection came into jeopardy as I was researching and it ended up being in an uninhabited house. And with just one phone call, a big shout out to the Port Lincoln History Group, super duper Port, um, Port Lincoln History Group because they galvanised themselves into action and they ensured its safety by housing it securely over there. And after that, not long after that, the Art Gallery of South Australia was able to acquire it. Prior to it being transported to Adelaide once again, I have to add that I did have a number of conversations with the newly appointed family guardian of the family furniture, and I did have to use my teacher voice and say, no, it was not a good idea to give it all a light sanding, and no, it was definitely not a good idea to give it a covering of kerosene. <laughs> so, there is an ongoing mystery with her furniture and that is her lack of formal training and I have two ideas on that. One is more romantic and the other one has more rigour. So the romantic one is that her grandmother, a woman named Sarah, was from an upper middle class family in Devon. She was educated and in 1951 as a single woman she had a child. In 1955, she ran away with her uncle's groom and swiftly moved to South Australia and settled on Hindmarsh Island. So it is possible that she felt an affinity with her quite isolated granddaughter and it's possible that she sent her books and that she sent her technical manuals. Now, Maud's mother could not read or write, but Maud could. And technical manuals were out there at the day because wood carving was the crossfit, the yoga, the book club of the day for women. It was a really popular pastime. The other theory that has a little bit more rigour is to do with Father Kelly. So Father Kelly um, came as an assistant to the Port Lincoln Catholic parish. At the time it was the largest parish in the whole Commonwealth and the fathers travelled for up to three months or longer each year to way over to the Western Australian border to Eucla. Um, and uh, Father Kelly, as I said, was the assistant to Father Jorgensen. Now Father Jorgensen arrived on Port Lincoln with a four-year-old adopted daughter possibly from his time when he was on the board of the Goodwood Orphanage. And from all accounts, and there is somebody here in the audience today who met her and knew her very well, she was a much-loved person. And Father, Father Kelly was also from a family that very much valued education. In fact, his sister was one of the first to gain a degree at the University of Adelaide. She topped the state in mathematics. She went on to teach at Cabra. And so education was circling around that presbytery and they, um, the young adopted daughter grew up, she, she was um, 
she had music lessons, she had painting lessons, and she worked for the parish and the Presbyterian worked very hard. She started the brownies. Um, she looked after the boarders from St. Joseph's when um, that St. Joseph's school was um, uh, refurbished and made expanded. It was called the Father Kelly Memorial School. And everything is, was about education. So it is entirely possible that he furnished young Maud Golly with technical manuals. And added to that, there is a recount from the 1970s that he sporadically visited Wedge Island if he could because Maud's mother was um, Irish Catholic. However, none of these are proven. And it's still a mystery. And it could well be that Maud Golly, who became Maud Bailey, was just a freak of nature. So I conclude today by reminding you that most of the South Australian women woodcarvers, um, they designed, they carved, and they joined themselves. Maud did it without any training, and she did it without any nails. Her story encapsulates that resourcefulness that so many women around this time demonstrated. And it's a resourcefulness born of necessity that we completely underestimate today. And these new acquisitions of the Art Gallery of South Australia will be forever remarkable because Maud had no formal training. She saw a design and she would carve, if she had to do two of them like this, she would carve one side and then she would place that in front of her and then without drawing up the second one, she would execute the second one so that was in perfect symmetry. Her work is of cultural and historical significance and she does deserve the time that you have given up to come here and listen to her story today. I, I do admit to doing a fair bit of encouraging as in white anting <laughs> of the family because secretly I hoped that these would end up on North Terrace either in Government House because that would make sense too um, but preferably in the Art Gallery of South Australia so that everybody could see them. And I'd like to say a big thank you to the Art Gallery of South Australia for saving them, and in particular to the female donor. Um, and one last thing she used to say about her carving, and she apparently said this repeatedly, it's only a bit of wood. But I think you'll agree with me that it's far more special than that. So thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. I think it's safe to say everyone enjoyed that very much. That was great. Thank you. Does anyone have any questions? So the question was if there was another piece in the Adelaide Club. There is not. Okay. That is a really interesting question. Um, from what I can tell, she was born on Port Lincoln, but that could just be the way that they did the paperwork at the time. And it could also be that her mother travelled to Port Lincoln to have her children. She was the third one. So um, I really, I can't answer for sure. The education is interesting because South Australian children were very lucky because drawing was mandated. 
very early on. Uh, the purpose of that was for industrial design and for um, us to be manufacturing things that were worthy to be exported. And so I can't imagine that she wasn't part of um, children who weren't sent um, school by correspondence and the uh, drawing curriculum was a copyist type met uh, methodology. So they would receive things to copy and then they would copy them laboriously and then they would be sent to somebody. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, everyone, please join me in thanking Joe again for that fantastic, fantastic talk. Well done. Thank you.